Yes, sir. Wubba Lubba Dub Dub it is out of one and only Mark Will Fripp Owens. And we are back with another episode of 32 and 32. Of course, coming down the line, we got the Atlanta Falcons up next, man. And this one, I've been plotting on this one for a minute, man. I had a chance to talk with a bunch of my guys over in Falcons country, but getting the chance to get my guy Trey Sean on is a pleasure. How you feeling today, brother? Man, Marco, I'm doing good, man. I'm ex- I'm excited to be here. Uh, man, we got a we got a good show. The Dirty Birds have been have been doing a lot recently, so I you know I'm excited to be here and, and just talk ball with you, man. Yes, sir, brother. But in order to get, they, as they say, before one can control the future, you got to understand one's past. So, mm. exactly, mm. how do we get here, man? Like, what's what's been the process? I know. There are a lot of people for a while that were unsure, for lack of a better term, about Arthur mm. Smith. Mm. And I mean, I like to think I've I've been a fan. I didn't. I, I would be lying to you if I told you I wanted him in Philadelphia because he he was one of the candidates we had our eye on, mm. and I didn't. But I had. I am intrigued by again how his play calling nuance, how he operates the offense. So what's what's the the four one one of Arthur Smith in Atlanta, man? Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting for art. So if you know, we're only we're only two years removed now officially from the Matt Ryan era, which is crazy. It feels like feels like that happened so long ago. So with Arthur Smith, you've kind of seen two different versions of of his offense. You've you've got to see with Matt Ryan the passing game. There's a little bit more play action work. He was able to spread the ball around. You know, efficiency. That's kind of the focus of art. And then. You saw with the Marcus Mariota, the offense that we had last year, you saw a little bit more play action. You saw a little bit more QB design run um, and more of the smash mouth element that I think we wanted to see from Arthur Smith or what many people expected, which was, you know, a a bruising run game um, and a QB that, you know, can drop it in the bucket when he needs to. We didn't quite have the QB that could drop it in that bucket last year. (laughs) So, you know, now, now we're on to you know, what many people think could be the quarterback to, to, to bring it all together, which is Desmond Ritter. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if he's that guy because Arthur Smith wants to run the football and he wants to be an efficient passer, but he doesn't want to throw the ball. You know, he doesn't want to be known as a team that is out here, you know, breaking passing yardage records, you know, he doing all these different the things. show on turf. He's not trying to be the greatest show on turf. He's trying to be the most efficient show on turf. And hey, we we saw you know with Tennessee that was a winning formula, right? You know you're able to get to the playoffs. He he worked with Ryan Tannehill, make sure you know he got focused on being less of a you know hey man, you, we just need you to hit your shots when they're open. And Ryan, and, you know he did a great job. Then the playoffs are the playoffs, right? You know it's a totally different game when you get there. And um, you know it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to emulate that offense that he had in Tennessee because. Just got Bijan this year, Tyler Algier coming off last year with a thousand yard rookie rushing season. So it's it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting, man. So it's interesting you say emulate the offense that he had in Tennessee because last year for my episode of 32 and 32, I had on Aaron Freeman. And this was before <laughs> I turned it into a, a, a podcast. So this yeah. was more of a, a 
written version. And I told him, I mean, we, we had a, a bit of a discussion and I told him my views on how, like, basically some of the moves you guys have been making, and even more so this season. I just mentioned something about this on Twitter the other day where you could tell that Arthur Smith has a type. And how I put it on Twitter, Arthur Smith has a type, and all Terry Fontenot is trying to do is deliver the goods. You you write up the recipe, I'm going to go shopping for you, basically. And there's a lot of massive bodies in those rooms, man. Just Not even just the receiver position, but the tight end position, all things of that nature. Like, it's mm-hmm. guys with massive catch radiuses. Wait, again, like I said, you could tell he has a preference. And when you look back to his time in Tennessee, one thing that stands out to me about Arthur Smith was how, like you said, efficient. Efficient the team was on third down. Efficient the team was in the red zone. So I, I like to think that he's, he, he's definitely building something towards that nature. Now, how he recreates this here will be – quite interesting like how i mm-hmm. always seen it in my head was okay we we got what i like to call the holy trinity in atlanta and i mean the only way the holy trinity gets fulfilled is if you get caleb williams so at the same time i, I want i want this to be good I, I'm, I'm rooting for this but, but with the holy trinity <laughs> i mean but you got Bijan in the backfield. You you got the, the massive weapon in Kyle Pitt, so you can use absolutely anywhere and literally anywhere now with the move of bringing in John Lewis Smith. So mm-hmm. you can now use him in line, outside, as a split out in the slot. Wherever you would desire to use Kyle Pitts at, you can move him there, which gives you more leeway with Drake London, who I think personally, they they I think how I saw him with Arthur Smith was more of like a Corey Davis role. Where he's just mm-hmm. a big slot receiver, bully yep, that power bully slot. in the D-backs. So, like that—that that was my vision when I first seen all of this going along. Mm-hmm. But it'll I, be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it was—it um, was the white side signing because I—I had tweeted Arthur Smith has a type, and then you quoted over that. You're like, I'm about a year off, but I had talked about this. And you nailed it, man. And, you know, he really he really does have a type. Um, and, you know, I like that you mentioned that Jonu Smith is actually going to help Kyle Pitts get targets. A lot of people saw that signing and were like, man, is Jonu really going to come in and steal targets from Kyle Pitts? And it's like, no, 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 you, you're looking at it the wrong way. This means Kyle Pitts doesn't have to be an inline tight end permanently. This means that you're actually allowed to get versatile. You're allowed to spread him out, put him in the slot, put him out outside. Now you have a reliable vet who's able to hold down that spot when they do want to play around and move him. And I think that'll actually help his target share, and I think it'll help him get better matchups. Um, so I really like that you brought up Janu being a piece that helps another piece, not one that's going to be detrimental or take away from production. Definitely, man, because I've seen a lot of other media personnel talking about it, and they've said it like while they're impressed with a lot of the moves you guys have made throughout the course of the offseason, they realize you guys hadn't didn't much to address the, the pass catching situation going on. So, and I mean, once I seen the trade for John New, that was immediately high click for me. Was I mean, they really didn't have to do much because they they want to if you if all things going off right for them they want to operate out of 12 personnel as much mm-hmm. as they can so that 
they're in a perfectly good blend. At this point, it's just figuring out what you want to do on the outside of Drake London if you want to use both tight ends in line or some things of that nature. But I guess more so at the running back position, how worth it do you think was the selection of B. John Robinson, man? Oh, man. So Bijan was a pick that I was very prepared for. You know, it's one of the when you take when you take a tight end at four, like that set the tone for me. I was like, okay, these guys they draft different. This is not going to be, you know, your positional value, you know, scorecard checking GM or anything like that. They're like, if we think this guy's the best guy, we're going to go get him. So I think the Bijan pick adds the element of explosiveness to this offense. And that was that's one of the biggest things that this offense has been missing is true explosive player. Uh, you saw in Cordell Patterson's first year, you saw like a glimpse of it, right? You know, he was he was doing it all, running, receiving, uh, still taking kicks back to the house. And I think they want to find a way to emulate that. And Bijan Robinson is the guy that makes the most sense in this draft class. They saw what they had in Tyler Algier, and that's a steal. You know, I think a lot of people look at that yeah, and they're man. like, hey, you got a fifth rounder that just gave you a thousand yards. And it's like, that's true. But, you know, we've also seen in the past, you know, guys who start hot as rookies, you know, and they're, 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 they're low rounds, but then they get run, you know, run down, things like that. So I think bringing in Bijan helps extend the career of your bruiser back in Algier. It's going to help Cordell Patterson be super fresh. You're not really going to have to worry about him being overused, which I think you kind of saw happen last year. And you got Avery Williams, who's converted DB, who's been playing running back. And he, I, you know, I don't, I don't think he's, you know, um, he's not there yet, but he's somebody that I think could be an all pro punt returner here very shortly. He's been, uh, he's been excelling in that role. And, there's just a lot to add, but to go back to your original question is where, where do I value or how much do I value that pick? And I think looking at it based on the team that took him and everything like that, I think it makes sense. I'm, I'm okay with the pick at eight. I'd say, you know, everybody, you know, always says well, yeah, after the draft, well, it turns out so-and-so was actually going to draft Bijan three picks later or, something like that. So, yeah, we, we, we never truly know. We only know what happened. And the Falcons took a running back at eight. I think we're going to see that running back featured in a lot of unique ways, the kind of ways that we saw Kyle Pitts featured in that year one where he was playing more wide receiver. And I think maybe it helps that positional value, you know, a little bit once you start looking at how is this guy going to be used. Um, just a dynamic football player that can – really do it all and i think that's what this team needed more than anything was a dynamic and explosive piece so i must ask does it not concern you much of if any that i guess to, for lack of a better term it's only one football and we saw last year like we were with all the hype and excitement of drake london coming in and we're mm-hmm. like pairing Drake London with Cal Pitts after what Cal Pitts did in year one is going to be spectacular. And then Cal Pitts didn't do much of anything in year two, but it was the Drake London show. And mm-hmm. now you bring in another phenomenal piece in B. John Robinson, where now, again, like I was just talking about the Holy Trinity a second ago, where you think you got all these pieces and it's going to be great. And then you turn around and wow, like the running joke of B. John's gonna run for six thousand yards. Maybe true, like it may be true. You wonder how this that affect 
the rest of the production across your offense, for lack of a better term? Or do you feel like it will affect the rest of the production across the offense, at least based on what you've seen historically? Yeah, so I think this is kind of where we go back to our first point and we talk about efficiency. I'm not uh, I'm not sure we'll ever see Bijan have, um, at least not initially, crazy uh, counting stats numbers on his own, right? Like 1,500-plus rushing yards combined with 800-plus receiving and, and all these other things. Because like you mentioned, there's only one ball and the ball's got to get spread around. So I'm not super worried. One of the things that happened with Pitts' production last year was that only 25% of the footballs thrown to him were catchable. So, you know, you hope that the quarterback change kind of helps, you know, alleviate some of that pain there. I think the other thing is, is, uh, you know, like you mentioned, it turned into, I think, the Drake London show. So I think once you start to become a more reliable weapon, defense pay more respect to you. And then that's kind of when you get to play the game of, okay, cool, you're going to double Drake. I got Pitts right here. Now he's in the slot. I've got Janu inside, in line. I've got Bijan back here. I think it's more about being um, about being less one-dimensional and having a multitude of weapons and ways to spread the ball around. I'm I'm not really concerned with, you know, if, if Bijan, you know, barely cracks a thousand yards rushing, but everybody's eaten and the offense is far more explosive. That's kind of the vision I see. I expect um, everybody to eat here and, you know, that might hurt players individually when it comes time to contract season and things like that. But ultimately the goal of this team is to be as, you know, efficient and explosive as possible. And I think that kind of plays into it when you start adding in all these guys in different avenues to where the team can go. But I'd be lying if I wasn't a little nervous because, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Things could go sideways really quickly, um, and, and we could see, you know, oh, hey, you know, we, we think that things are just going to progressively stack, and it was like Kyle Pitts hit that 1K season, and then things kind of happen how they happen, and when you have a question at quarterback, it makes the one ball a little bit more concerning because those opportunities, you got less margin for error, right? It's like you need to hit those shots when they're there because if you don't, that's it. Like, you know, so uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Well, let's get to that Why you're nervous, man. Let's talk about that guy under center, the man who's never lost a game at home as a starter in college or the pros. That's, that's right. Let's talk about some Desmond Ritter, man. What? It's a lot to like about Des. I, I remember scouting Des coming out, and I, if I recall correctly, I believe Des was my quarterback, too. I was fairly high on him. And the landing spot of Atlanta, specifically with Arthur Smith and what he would be asked to do, was always intriguing because I feel like it fit his skill set. So getting to see him, I guess for lack of a better term, in a full season, because, I mean, we spoke before we got on, and you say how a lot of Falcons fans like to look at the the Eagles' blueprint and the way of thinking and things of that nature. And I was talking to somebody earlier on, and I was telling them, I'm I'm a huge fan of what Atlanta's doing. My only concern is I don't think the fans realized that before Philadelphia got to where they were, that there was basically a season before a Super Bowl season. And that ain't saying that you guys gonna make a Super Bowl not this year, but next year. Hell, who knows? Maybe you will. But in the same breath, we had to go through like 
for what I like to consider the growing pains. We mm-hmm. went out there and we tried having Jalen Hurts throw the ball 25, 30 times a game. And we saw some good things. It also worked winning a lot of football games. Yeah. So once the bad hit, we hit kind of like had to recalibrate the offense. It became more run heavy. And that's when we start winning games. You basically using the quarterback to his advantage, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Letting him go, grow. And we, uh, there were a lot of people who left that last game versus Tampa Bay that postseason with a sour taste in their mouth because, I mean, it wasn't good. It was ugly, for lack of a better term. Yeah. But there were a lot of people, especially people on this channel, who they felt as if Jalen Hurts showed enough throughout the, the course of that season. He works hard enough to where it's possible. And that's the thing right there. It works hard enough. I know Dez works hard. But does mm-hmm. he work Jalen Hurts hard is the question. Man, that is the big question for me because when I when I look at Jalen Hurts, I feel like a lot of people a lot of people don't give him enough respect for having elite strength. Jalen Hurts has elite strength. Um pound for pound, one of the strongest players in the NFL. So that's very hard to emulate on top of the work ethic that he has, right? Like there's good foundational pieces to work off with uh, Jalen that I I don't see in Ritter. Ritter has other things where he succeeds, but when we talk about playing to the QB's advantages and making things better for him, um, Arthur Smith has already come to the table and said, yeah, we're going to have less QB runs this year. So Arthur Smith is already in his head thinking – I'm not going to try to use, which a lot of people thought that they were going to try to use Mariota and Ritter pretty similarly. A lot of people were trying to make those connections. And there's a few things about them that are somewhat, you know, comparable. But overall, I mean, you look at Desmond Ritter's build. He's not, you know, he's not built to have consistent run duties. Running was never his game in college. You know, everybody sees that he had that four. It's like a high four, four forty. Um, so they kind of get enamored with the idea that speed is there, but that's not really his game. I think what's important is how you mentioned that there was a season before the season. And I think from the outside, a lot of people have erased that season before the season. And it just went from Hurts. They just need a couple pieces. Boom. Super Bowl. And this, <laughs> that leaves out a lot in the middle. And the middle is where it all happens, and that's where Dez is right now. He's going into his first full season. You know, they brought in Heineke, who I think that's like a good QB2 to push the guy, um, you know, because Heineke's uh, showed that, you know, he he can – you give him four games, he's great. You give him eight, that might be a little too much. But, you know, <laughs> he's uh, – you know, Dez is – um. Des has a lot of good qualities, like you said. I think a lot of the things that when you look at Desmond Ritter, um, and especially when you look at Atlanta, is you know the ability to get the ball to your big body wide receiver. You know, Alec Pierce, um, that's a guy who, you know, he did a great job of getting the ball in that catch radius, right? And when you look at this wide receiver group, like you mentioned, everybody's got, you know, the catch radius of a pterodactyl. So I think, you know. That lines up there. Okay, he's got the weapons that he kind of needs to succeed. What it's going to come down to for Dez is it's going to come down to footwork and it's going to come down to processing. So when Ritter struggled last year on the field, what we saw 
his footwork has a tendency to leave his footballs high. And this was like a problem that he kind of had in college as well. It wasn't always the most accurate on those throws. And then the other part, I think, is just normal rookie stuff. And that's just like adjusting to the speed of the game, understanding when to move off your reads and process through the play and things like that. It's just really hard to get a read on a guy you've only seen play four games, right? And then when you look at the context of those games, okay, they played. I don't know if anybody was watching Arizona Cardinals football that late (laughs) the season but we were (laughs) we played the we played the third string in the practice squad arizona cardinals like the defense was i didn't i didn't know how yeah man you know so and then you played tampa bay's backups for an entire second half of football you played the tyler Huntley led Ravens, which that doesn't affect Ritter because he's playing the defense but you know Ravens aren't at full go Saints game, every rookie's first game, I'm kind of like, you know, whatever, man, that's your first game. Whether it's really good or really bad, it so happened that this one was 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 really bad. Um, I'd say that was like his toughest opponent. You know, Dennis Allen defense, um, having to be a rookie going up against some of those exotic looks, be difficult. So, um, it, a lot of this really is wait and see. And like you said, it comes down to the work, and we'll find out whether or not he's been putting in the work at the level of somebody like Hertz. Um, and even if he is, it still might not work out. Right. Cause that's, you know, that's kind of how the game goes sometimes. Um, but, but yeah, man, I don't Desmond Ritter talk is very. Um... So what do you envision? Cause this, what I'm about to ask you, this was always, and like I said, there was a bunch of people on this channel, me and all my guys, we were big, we were pro Jalen Hurts to the end. Mm-hmm. But even then, we had to have the conversation with ourselves, sometimes off part, sometimes on part, where we had to understand that while we think Jalen Hurts is good in our thing, we had to hold our hat on was Jalen Hurts continued to improve. And every year that you watch Jalen Hurts play football from the moment he stepped foot in Alabama, he continued to improve as a football player the next from the last year you've seen him to the next. Mm-hmm. And that's traded water all the way to the NFL. So we we had our hat to hang on that, but at the same time, like you said, it, it's a difference from playing the practice squad players in Arizona versus playing Dennis Allen in the starting Saints defense. And I get it was his first game, but you get where I'm going with it. Mm-hmm. What we had to understand was the scariest part about all this is what if you find yourself in the middle ground? What if Desmond Ritter is good enough to win you games? He's clearly good enough to be a NFL quarterback at this level, but he isn't, especially when you start looking at, I mean, maybe it's hard to have this scope when you look at the NFC. I mean, outside of San Francisco and Philadelphia, it's kind of like open waters, but when you start looking at the rest of the league and especially what's going on with some of those teams over in the AFC and you sit here and you tell yourself, do you think we got the quarterback that can win a shootout against those guys when it comes down to it? It's, it's a difference between him being, I guess how I typically put it, it's a, it's a difference between him being, you being good enough to win because of him versus him being good enough to win with. And what if he's the latter, for lack of a better term? So this kind of brings us back to something we mentioned earlier, which was Arthur Smith's Titans tenure and Tannehill. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, we a lot of people are like, oh, that's what he wants to be. That's what we're trying to recreate. And I look at that as a this is a double-edged sword because like you said, it's like, okay, cool. When in regular season games, like that's the first box you got to check, right? When in the first round of the playoffs, okay, cool. You got the wild card matchup. You got like whoever divisional round championship round. This is when you have to have a guy who not, not every game we've seen plenty of teams who've been able to keep it together, but can elevate, and can and can make those plays, can make those uh, what it would have PFF big time throws and things of that nature and stuff like that. Um, which, like you know, you saw like Jalen, like you said, progress and start to make all of those throws. Like he he showed you that he can be that guy. Um, and my biggest fear is that, especially because of the state of the NFC, that Ritter will be a guy that's good enough to win you games, to make it to the playoffs, but that's going to kind of be your ceiling is you'll be a first-round, second-round team, and then you might get knocked down. The big reason I look at it like this is because for the past two years, the Falcons have gone 7-9. and nine. The past two years, NFL community by and large said, that's the worst roster in the league. So... If the consensus is that the 32nd to the 30th ranked roster is cranking out seven wins, which like seven wins isn't anything to celebrate, but it's not four wins. It's not three wins. Like, you know, this is a very big difference between that team, you know, and, and a seven win team. Okay. You signed Jesse Bates. You've added Bijan. You've got Kyle Pitts. You've got all this infrastructure that's been brought in. The defense has been, has been retooled and remade. In my mind, I'm like, okay. If this has been a seven floor win team, yes, the rest of the league has improved, but we've taken like a marginal jump in terms of roster, you know, peeling off that dead money. It almost feels like impossible to think that now suddenly this is going to be a four win team barring injuries or things of that matter. So then you get stuck in what a lot of people call the modern QB purgatory. Um, and a lot of people look at like um, like Kirk Cousins or Jimmy G. Jimmy G or late stage Matt Ryan to where it's like these guys can win you football games in the regular season, but you're going to be kind of capping your ceiling here without some, you know, divine intervention, so to speak. So I'm, I'm with you, man. I think that's my biggest fear is that I do think that Ritter is going to be able to win games with this team. Um, what he showed last year, you know, he, it was if, if I watched Marcus Mariota win, you know, five games, and I think Ritter showed that maybe he's at the level of Marcus or maybe slightly above. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where if it does fall down like that, it's going to come down to this regime. Ritter's contract's up in two years. It's really going to be. It's going to come down to good GMing and good coaching, right? They're going to have to look in the mirror. They're going to have to say, hey, um, do we truly believe that this is the right way to go? Do we pay this guy? And then do we keep trying to just build the best infrastructure there is? Or do we try to find the guy who can work with, you know, a really good infrastructure, um, but he doesn't need to have everything around him to succeed? And it's a really funny conversation for Atlanta fans because – 
that was the knock many people had on Matt Ryan. They're like, oh man, like he's good, but he needs everything around him to be perfect in order for him to succeed and for him to be that guy. And, you know, can you count on it being that way year in and year out with injuries, roster turnover and, and the like, you know, is that what you want to bet your franchise success on versus, you know, having a Hertz. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, a uh, Herbert, a uh, Burrow, a uh, Allen, a like you said, man. You look at the AFC right now, and it's just an embarrassment of riches. And it's like, do I am I taking Desmond Ritter, Jimmy G, etc. over that? If I'm if I'm you know if I'm in a shootout or I got something on the line, probably not. That's 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 the strange thing, man. And that's I really I guess. I said earlier, I found myself being very invested in Atlanta more so because they're, believe it or not, there was a point in time Eagles fans wanted Howie Roseman fired. And it was, it was ugly. It was really bad. And I sat back one day and I I started looking across the league, honestly. I started looking at everybody else's GMs and what was going on with a lot of these other teams. And it quickly made me – I didn't have to get four or five GMs in before (laughs) I quickly came to the reality. Yo, I mean, he do some dumb stuff sometimes, but he's pretty good at his job compared to the other 32 guys, 31 guys. Like, what the hell are they doing? And, I mean, even then when you look at modern day, you see how we get all this praise about – how he's lapping GMs and all of this nature. And I look over at Atlanta and what Terry's doing, and I'm, I'm a major fan. Of, I'm a major fan of Terry. Terry's pretty swift. So my argument against what you just said would more so be there have been plenty of times, and that was a lap before Jalen Hurts took that team to the Super Bowl and did what he did in the Super Bowl. There were a lot of people that sat here, and there was a fair argument to be had in terms of a team-building aspect where – Okay, let's be real with ourselves. We gotta hit the lottery or find a luck of gold in order for us to find ourselves one of those quarterbacks we talking about in the AFC or something like one of those top tier guys that, like I said, you win because of not because win with. Maybe if I'm good enough at my job and I team build enough, and all I need is for this guy to win me two or three games. And kind of like what you was just saying about the Matt Ryans, the Matt Staffords at this day and age, you you can win me some games in the regular season. I can cover your ass in the playoffs. And once the Super Bowl comes, I just need you to not be average, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I don't need you to turn into Nick Foles, but I do think it's a way where a team can – a team building, a great GM and great team building can lead a team with an average quarterback, for lack of a better term, to the promised land. And mm. Now, getting over the hump is the problem. But, I mean, I like to think once a team gets to the promised land, that tells you that you're good enough to get there. It's just figuring out how. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, how do you keep it? How do you keep it going? How do you stay stay consistent? Um yeah, and that's the tough part. And a lot of these things are hard to answer when you don't know the QB situation either, right? And you know, that's kind of what yeah. makes that's what makes this season so interesting because in a lot of people's minds too, 
and I kind of view it the same way. I would say this is really Arthur's and Terry's second year. First year was uh, they had to alleviate half of that dead cap, right? So they got you know, Julio. Julio was gone. Everything like that. This, the the off season before last season was then the departure of Matt Ryan, which is the yeah, biggest that dead, cap. dead cap hit in history. Forty million dollars uh, on the books that you're that you're locked into. So this is the first year that they were able to have spending money in the off season. This was the first year that they weren't strapped to players from a previous regime or things like that that they didn't want to they've pretty much filtered out all of the quinn era guys and everything like that i think there's two two or three players left which would be grady jarrett jake matthews and uh aj terrell oh chris lindstrom so a couple couple good ones still from that era um but yeah man it's it's gonna be tough um i agree with you i really like terry though i think I think no matter what happens with Arthur Smith, I think Terry survives. Um, yeah. I, it, it's so hard for me to look at that guy, and I'm like, no, like we hired Arthur Smith first, and I think one of the reasons we did that was because it was going to be really hard to find a GM um, that actually wanted to take on the task of like reworking our financials, which is you know, hey, you get somebody from the New Orleans Saints, you're already <laughs> you're already on the right track because those guys apparently don't live in reality or the world where the cap exists because they are always able to make things happen um, and to rework that situation in two years time. I'm like, why would you let this man out of the building after that? Um, just, just feels irresponsible and um, pretty good drafter so far as well too. So um, you know, it's a big, big, big fan of Terry. So on the other side of the ball, man, it's, Almost a sight to behold. Talk about a re-ramp defense, man. The, the, the secondary is almost completely new. We got Hefe, Jeffrey Okuda over there on the other side, projected Lee on the other side of AJ mm-hmm. Terrell. Quite possibly after the departure of Isaiah Oliver, man, you got Clark Phillips stepping in in the nickel. It's, it's like almost a heaven sent. You got Drake Trey Flowers over there just to push for more snaps, just in case. Like it's it's a, almost a complete three sixty from last year, man. Yeah. And like even when you look up front, you get Calais Campbell, Bud Dupree. Got like Grady Jarrett is not alone anymore. Oh, it's got he David Onyemata next to him. Like exactly, he has friends now, man. It's it's almost fun to see. What do you expect from the Falcons' defense this year, man? Um, this is the first year I've had expectations for that group <laughs> in like four or five years, man. I'm excited. Um, I think you mentioned it off the top. Uh, you got to look at this secondary group, right? Um, AJ Terrell and Richie Grant, the only two projected returning starters. Um, then you add Jesse Bates, uh, Clark Phillips, um, Trey Flowers, Mike Hughes, Jeff Okuda. Um, this is going to be a really physical group. This is going to be a group that I think is going to um, like probably the most exciting group to watch in camp. The battles are going to be um, are going to be really fun because, like you said, you got you got some real players there who are definitely going to push push for playing time um, and have shown that they've got they've got a spot for themselves on the league. So I think from this secondary, I'm expecting um, a lot got high expectations um really want to see this unit 
I really think this unit has the has the potential to perform as a top fifteen uh, group. And there's obviously um, a lot of things that need to happen for them to get there. You know, you hope that Clark Phillips is that guy. I think that might be my favorite draft pick. Um, just an absolute dog. Um, only only undersized in, in height and weight. Um, <laughs> outside of that, this, this guy is just going to bring it. So when I, when I look at this secondary group, I'm definitely expecting Ryan Nielsen to be really creative going to expect a lot of from the safety play um you know we do have jalen hawkins who's returning as well so i think you could see a lot of fun three safety looks i think you could see a lot of different unique packages rolled out and you know he loved to do a lot of different fun things um back when he had uh uh gardner johnson um on the defense so i think he's going to take a lot of those exotic looks from allen and be able to implement them here when we look at the d-line Exactly. I was just about to say, man, that that's actually my favorite thing about Ryan Neeson and that hire. Because, I mean, y'all did all that to improve the secondary when Ryan Neeson and his background is all about improving the interior line, man. Just finding those edge brushers, whether it was Trey Hendrickson. Of course, we all know about the work he's done with Cam Jordan over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sadly, like, some of us know all too well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, man. So he got so he got one of his guys right. He got Anumata. I think that's big. Getting scheme familiarity, giving a getting somebody who's um, understands exactly what Nielsen wants out of him and and knows what he's going to get from his coach too. I think that's huge. Um, I was talking to this with Aaron Freeman uh, this weekend. You know, Anumata's made his living as like a three tech. He's a bigger guy. He can do some one tech stuff, but he's 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 really been a three tech. Grady Jarrett in the Quinn era, a lot of people don't really remember this, was a uh, doing a lot of one tech duties. He's done a lot over the past few years now due to the lack of help and him being the only man there. He's played all over the line, but I think we're going to see something really fun. I think we're going to see Grady going back to being a penetrating one tech. He's not going to have to hold, absorb blocks or clog the lane or anything like that. That's why you got Eddie Goldman coming out of retirement. Who's going to hold down for the run responsibilities. And you got Kalias on the other side, who's going to be able to help wreck shop and he, he can do everything right. You know, a true vet, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's going to have the ability to play, you know, the, the, the three to the four, and man, I just can't wait to see what Ryan's gonna do, right? Because I'm so disappointed like... you didn't mention my man. Dog. Hold on, oh, I'm just sitting here, just waiting and anticipating. Oh, uh, so then we look at the edges a little bit. Then we got Bud Dupree. I think Bud Dupree is somebody that actually kind of fits the mold of what Nielsen wants. You know, he likes those big body edges. He's gonna be able to eat up in the run game. Lorenzo Carter. You know, he's going to he's going to essentially do the same thing. Then we got got a young man from Ohio State who I think is the the guy that Ryan Nielsen was like, I honestly I can picture it now where he just walks into the draft room and he's like, I don't care what y'all do. Y'all can draft. (laughs) Y'all can draft Clark Phil. Y'all can draft whoever you want. Bring me Zach. Bring me this. Six foot six, the biggest wingspan in the draft. Bring me this monster, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like just transform him into what you guys saw over in New Orleans all these years. The reasons you brought me over because you know I'm gonna be able to give you the D line that's been giving you headaches for all these years. And 
you know, you're looking at a fun group. I think there's still questions on the outside. Obviously, there's not a lot of sack production, um, so to speak. But when you have somebody like Nielsen, who has a career track record of being able to, you know, like you mentioned, transform the interior of a defense, and you have guys in the interior who are great at applying pressure and funneling the QB to the outside. That's what helps your edge players who maybe aren't the most prolific pass rushers. You know, that's how Vic Beasley kind of fell into 16 sacks. Um, you know, one of those years in Atlanta because <laughs> he had Grady Jarrett on the inside blowing everything up and, and running people right to him. Don Terry Poe, same thing. That Falcons team was so successful because of their penetrating interior defense created so much of that pressure. And I really think, I haven't even talked about Caden Ellis yet. I really think with the additions of some of these guys who are very scheme specific, know what Nielsen wants to do. I, I, I'm very optimistic about what this front can do. Um, the biggest hole on this defense is the, is the middle of the field is the linebacking group. Uh, you're going to have Troy Anderson. Who's in gear two. He has all the physical tools, right? He he's um, six foot, six foot three, six foot four, uh, two hundred forty pound inside linebacker that runs a four four. That was a quarterback in college. That was a running back. That was an outside linebacker. So athlete. We got to see things click upstairs this year. Nielsen gets a lot of credit for his D line work. Um, he also worked heavily with the linebacking core as well. Um, so you know seeing Caden Ellis coming over. Okay. Like that. No, we saw him, you know, be able to get seven sacks out of him last year through a variety of exotic blitzes and being able to play him all over the field. I think Troy's going to have to man down the mic spot. I think that's really what they're going to want from him. I'm not sure that that's going to be Michael Walker's responsibilities. I think Walker works better as a will. Um, but you know, that remains to be seen. That that's the one part of the area when I'm when I'm looking at this that 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 worries me the most. And you know, I think <laughs> again, I was talking to this about Aaron. Aaron's like, you know, we've had bad linebacker play for five past five years. So what's one more year? And when you look at what this interior D line can do for that linebacking group, you you have to factor that in is that they haven't had guys in front of them outside of Grady Jarrett that can you know, do what they need to do, fill their run lanes, hold their blocks, you know, free up the linebackers so that they can make the play. So I'm just saying, uh, I can't believe I'm able to say this many good things about the Falcons. <laughs> to be this optimistic coming into the season. Trust me, man. I, I, I understand the feeling, man. You didn't even name my guy Arnold Epicati. I'm excited to see the work oh, he has to do with the- him, man. If right. he doesn't turn on an Elbacetti into a 10-sack player, I would be feel highly disappointed. I did not mention the doctor. And you know what? That is somebody that I think is kind of losing. Um, people have forgotten about, obviously. And when we look at this transition to this defense with Nielsen, um, Elbacetti, you know, he had – he had a much better rookie season than it appeared to on paper. He was top five in pass rush rate um, out of all rookie edges. Um, you saw the flashes. He just couldn't quite close yet. You know, he's just, he's, he's right there. It just isn't, isn't closing right now. Um, with somebody like Nielsen coming over, I, I think he's going to be able to help make him a closer. And like you said, man, that's like your, that, 
that is your best. I think I think that's your best pass rusher on the team right now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't really think it's close. Um, Ellis is a hard read for me just because that's very situational. That's very um, you know that that's a different kind of pressure um versus like having to come off the edge and create pressure on your own like that without a blitz or a stunt or anything else like that to kind of help you out so d'angelo malone is the other guy i would mention um third round pick a lot of people i think don't know what to expect from d'angelo you know third round picks uh you know it's a a decent amount of draft capital right there he was a guy that blew it up at the senior bowl um he showed some flashes of his raw strength, which is what really helped him get up the boards, I think. But got to see him be able to convert that power more consistently. You know, it was something that I think he really started to struggle with when he started facing some of the stronger and some of the more technically sound tackles in the league. Um, you know, you were able to see him kind of get washed out really easily. So he's somebody that I think if Nielsen could find a unique role for, if he's somebody that I know there's been talks of maybe seeing if he could do some off ball uh, linebacker duties or do some specialty blitz packaging, things like Caden, it'd be really interesting. Uh, And he could be another piece that I think a lot of people, uh, you know, would be surprised by just because that's not what he was initially brought in to do. Um, But, you know, if there's a guy that's going to be able to help make that pivot, I think they brought in, you know, one of the better DCs to be able to do that. Definitely, man. So I guess one more thing before I get you up two more, because the last thing is a prediction. I'm obligated to ask. Oh, you yeah. Oh, yeah. But one more thing before I get you out of here. So just with, I guess, how do you view? the scope of the NFC through the lens of these Atlanta Falcons. What are your expectations heading into the season? So for the NFC as a whole? Yeah. Like when you look, do you see, I mean, of course, as I said a while back, you look at the top, it's fairly San Francisco. Of course, that's that's the level you're trying to get to. Yeah. About how far back do you think you are from those guys? And how close do you think you are to the rest of the pack or far away from the rest of the pack, for lack of a better term? Okay. So I'd say like tier one NFC is Eagles, Niners, right? Outright. I think those are the two best rosters, even with the quarterback concerns that the Niners have. Uh, So I'd say the tier right below that are probably going to be like the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Man, things get nasty after the two of y'all, yeah. man. Like <laughs> things get things get gross. So so I think um I'm trying to think, you know, the teams that I say were the closest to around would be you know, maybe like Seattle. The, the, yeah, okay. So I'd say like Dallas, Seattle, that second tier. And then the third tier, I think, is maybe when you start getting the the Detroit Lions. Um and Giants, Lions, I mean, Giants, Lions, maybe us. Like, you know, that's kind of where I think maybe we're in that group of, uh, of, of will they make the jump or will they fall back down? Um, because those are teams that I think you look at Detroit winning season last year, everybody expects them to make a jump. Giants dabble them. They, you know, that crazy story that they were able to, to turn that season into people wonder okay they're gonna take the next step or fall down and then atlanta seven and nine two years in a row um 
had a big offseason of spending. Okay, do they finally make the jump into tier two or are they staying in three or dropping down to four or whatever? So I'd say that we're pretty far away from being the Eagles and 49ers. Um, the, the, those are two teams that have been in their process, running their process for you know, almost uh, like seven, seven years, seven plus years. So that's like a level of consistency that we just don't have as an organization yet because these guys are on year three. They're still implementing their system. You're starting to see how they like to draft. You're starting to see how they like to build their team and things of that nature. Um, this team still has some contracts on it that are going to shake off. They're going to have $62 million of spending money for next off season. Um, Still got to pay AJ Terrell. He hasn't been paid. Still got to pay some guys like that. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think that, I think that this team is like a tier three level team, and that they should be—I'd call that the make some noise crowd. You know, they should be making some noise this year, um, and that they have the roster set up to where that they can they can effectively make some noise and maybe beat a couple of teams that people would say, okay, you know, that's a real, that's a quality win. You beat in the playoff team right there. Um, but still not convincing enough of a team to where, okay. All right. It's Sunday. It's 8 PM. It's Jalen hurts. It's Desmond Ritter. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> maybe one day <laughs> maybe one day but not this not this year not this year oh lord just thinking about desmond going against that d-line um yeah Corey, man yeah, yeah, not yeah, this year some good things going man Corey lindstrom the uh, acquisition or i should have said the selection of matthew bergeron mm-hmm. there's, there's some good things going on over there they trending in the right direction in terms of that offensive line yeah yeah and you know i've uh dwayne ledford's been uh been heaven sent man that guy's um you know turned around caleb mcgarry helped helped to get and solidify that side of the o-line like you said i think bergeron's gonna oh, damn time fit poor buddy you're telling me <laughs> and i've been waiting for caleb mcgarry to break out for some. I'm like, hey, bro. <laughs> Just in time because, boy, the way that that contract rolled out, I was, hey, man, three years, $13 million, Okay. Okay. <laughs> no problem. No beef with that. Everybody said that that man was going to get $17 million. They thought he was going to get, you know, Mike McGlinchey money and stuff like that. Or, or didn't, didn't quite work out that way for Caleb, but we're happy to have him back at a very affordable price. <laughs> Well, before I let you go, man, let us get a prediction on the season, man. How do you feel this year turns out for Atlanta? You guys win in the South. What's the number of games you win? Ah, that first question is a lot harder than the second question. To be honest with you, this division is ugly. Um, they're all. I'm going to start with the second one. I'm going to start with the second one. And we're we're going to go from seven and nine, and we're, we're going to swap those around. We're going to look at a nine and seven football team. I think you're going to be a, a, a technically ten a or ten. Oh, man, you're right. Ten and seven football team. We're going to be a nine and eight. We're going to be a nine and eight football team. <laughs> going to be I gotta say nine and eight. So nine and eight. 
That might be enough to win the South. I'm not and I, proud of you. I, I mean, that's what I'm saying, man. That's what makes you the lost South it last predict. year with seven games won. You could win it with nine. Yeah, and I mean, Tampa Bay lost Tom Brady. Uh, the Panthers are also rolling out with unknown QB situation. The Saints are rolling out with a interesting QB situation. So. I'm going to say they win the South. I think nine and eight, I think nine and eight wins the South. I don't think any of the other teams are actually going to perform. Man, this is so tough. This is like predictions this year for NFC South is so tough, but I'll say Saint. I'll say Falcons, Saints, Panthers, Bucks. And I would say like the Saints and the Panthers are probably going to be sitting at like seven and seven and seven wins eight wins like it's going to be tight it's going to be just like last year it's going to be a photo finish um and i i I think i think the birds i think they just i think they just squeak it out i think they i think they get it out this year oh man i'm so excited for this season i I need to see how this story is written it's like i'm waiting for the next episode of dragon ball z (laughs) (laughs) will desmond ritter be great how many yards will be John Robinson run for? What's next for Arthur Smith? Find out next time on the next episode of Dragon, Dragon Ball Z. Z. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Oh, man. But I appreciate you for coming through, brother. We definitely got to do this again sometime before the season starts. Of course. Yeah, man. Anytime. Anytime, man. Love coming on. Love talking ball. One of the best out there, uh, man. It's just it's it's nice to always get a perspective, especially a very educated perspective from the outside looking in at your team because you, you sometimes you just get tunnel vision or you don't you don't see everything that others see or like you mentioned people you know you you've mentioned all the interesting perspectives of the season before the season the work all the context that goes into what made the Eagles the Eagles. And how does that apply to Atlanta? What does that look like in terms of where they are now, man? Just, just, just I love it. Love being able to talk. So Definitely, anytime. Man. Always, brother. Until next time, you guys. This is 32 and 32. I'll see you soon.